Good morning. As you know, Brother Brad is absent today. Uh, let's continue to remember them in prayer as they're returning from Baton Rouge. Um, they were down there celebrating the life of Amy's grandfather who uh, passed away last week. So today we get the privilege of Matt Stanley bringing our message. He'll be preaching to us from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither a salt pond can yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you again as we prayed this, sun, this, this morning in Sunday school, Lord, for the opportunity to come and to learn from your word, to be taught, Lord, through your word, by the Spirit. Lord, I pray this morning as, as Matt comes to preach to us, Lord, that we will be convicted by this passage. As it tells us, maybe there is someone here that, that is perfect and, and has complete control of their tongue. But Lord, I, I, my assumption would be we're far from it. Lord, this is a very convicting passage of how our sin um, can, can set, a, set a fire ablaze, Lord, that can cause so much damage. Damage, Lord, to others. Damage to your church, Lord. Damage to the witness of Christ in this world. So, Lord, help us to be convicted. But, Lord, help us also through this passage to know that, that we have Christ, Lord, that we belong. And that we are capable of overcoming all sin, Lord, through you. So, Lord, I'm thankful for that this morning. Lord, be with Brother Matt as he proclaims your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue our study in the uh, book of James, this is a, a part here in chapter 3, a passage that we're going to look at here this morning that is a difficult one. Uh, it is one that I know myself am not perfect in. And the only way I feel as though comfortable in, in preaching and speaking on this passage is the fact that I know that it's none of us are perfect in this area. We all struggle at times controlling our tongue, controlling our speech. There was a great, uh, there was a Greek philosopher described himself, one of on uh, one honest occasion this way. 
He says, I have often regretted my speech, but never my silence. Will Morris, a, a, a journalist in America, was often, he's often quoted um, because of his unique ability to put in a rhyme and jingle some things that are worth remembering, said this, Your lips would keep from slips five things observed with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, how and when and where. Instead of starting in James chapter 3 this morning, and we'll get, definitely get there, I'd rather start in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, we see here Jesus diagnoses the real problem. He talks not about the tongue, but the basic problem behind the tongue. The tongue is a neutral messenger board that carries the words from the heart. It's the bucket that goes down deep in the well and dips out what is there and then dumps out of the mouth what it picks up. The basic problem with the tongue is the heart. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15, starting at verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when you heard say this? Do you know or when you when you heard you saying this? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Experts in the field of speech estimate that the average person creates 12,000 sentences composed of 50,000 words a day. If you were to put it in print, it would be a, a paperback edition of about 150 pages. I doubt at the end of the day we would want to read that. James Vernon McGee, the former Bible teacher of Texas, strong Texas accent, he said, it takes a baby two years to learn how to talk and then 50 years to learn how to keep silent. The truth is, we never quiet get under control, yet it remains one of the greatest gifts given by God. The Bible refers to the power of speech to heal, to encourage to edify, to teach, support, exhort, sing, pray, praise. But it also has a reverse effect. The Bible also describes the power of speech to corrupt, pervert, flatter, slander, gossip, blaspheme, com complain, curse, seduce, destroy, lead astray. And, and that's just for starters. Every time you go to the doctor, the first thing they look at is the tongue. Because in the physical realm, the tongue often reveals symptoms that are a deeper issue. And the same is true in the spiritual realm. 
The tongue is simply the messenger that delivers the mail composed by the heart. That's because the, the tongue and the heart are directly connected. Solomon wrote, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. And Jesus in Luke 6 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why we all have the same speech impediment. And it's called sin. And nowhere is our sin put on display more than with our speech. And here you notice in verse 1 as we begin, uh, James talks about here, not many of you should become teachers. He says that you know that to teach shall be judged with greater strictness. He's actually using an imperative. He's a command. He says, don't be quick to become teacher. Why is teaching under such scrutiny? Why, why, is, he, why is he saying this? Teachers deal with words, concepts, ideas, and doctrines that will influence and shape the thinking of those under their charge. Let me back up for a minute or two and expound on the problem, I believe, what James is, is addressing here. The word for teachers here uh, in the context comes out of where it, where it means of the Jewish synagogue, and it carries with it a great deal of admiration. The New Testament teacher and, and pastors were in some ways inheriting the legacy of the heritage of the rabbi. The rabbi was a Jewish teacher who studied uh, the law and his application to life and was engaged in teaching others. It was the most highly influential position in the Jewish community, second to that of the Jewish of the, of the Supreme Court, of the Sanhedrin during that time. One Old Testament scholar said that the rabbi was treated in a way that was liable to ruin his character, to ruin the character of any man. The very name literally meant great one, or the one that is great. So literally people would walk around and, and say, oh, great one. Oh, how great, Lord, you are. You're the greatest. In fact, during the lifetime of James, it was held that a man's duty to his rabbi exceeded his duty to his parents because his parents only brought him into this life of this world. But his teacher brought him into the life that would become. In fact, if a person's parents and their teacher were captured by an enemy and held ransom, it was, it was held that the teacher was to be ransomed first. So now, so now move from the synagogue into the life of the developing church for the believers. James is at the very beginning of this transitioning. And teachers no longer had to be rabbis. They weren't required to have training to teach or to speak from the floor of the Christian assembly. There was the temptation of admiration and respect and the fact that the synagogue had an open platform policy for visiting teachers. Paul took advantage of this as he traveled around. But the open platform policy for teachers opened the door for self-appointed, selfishly motivated individuals to make a rush to the platforms. And James says, hold on. You want the platform, you want the position, don't forget the penalty. You want respect, have you considered the responsibility? Have you taken on the role because you want admiration? 
don't overlook the coming day of accountability. So James says there to, again in verse 1, that there is a stricter judgment that is, that is coming, that will come. And we are to be careful. We are to be prepared. There's a final exam for teachers. Imagine the irony in that. Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, is going to do the grading. He will determine and reward that which is indeed accurate, spiritually minded, edifying, courageously true, God-honoring. You see, no one makes a mad rush to the stage if they understand the gravity that comes, the coming to the Bema seat and its evaluation of our speech. And that applies to all teaching. Every time you open up the Word of God. We see here that he goes on and he talks about, for we all stumble in many ways. Um, it's amazing that James would mention this. By the way, when James is saying this, he says we all, not I, or not you. Now, you all stumble and you, you have problems. He says, no, we, including himself. We all stumble in many ways. We all make mistakes. We all say things we shouldn't say. Job, in Job 40, says, I am unworthy. What can I, rely, what can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. Isaiah, in, in Isaiah 6, says, I'm a man of unclean lips. If you know Moses, you see, we see Moses time and time again saying rash things and things he shouldn't say. And what about Peter? Oftentimes he would open his mouth only to insert his foot and to say things that he shouldn't say. They, they will all fall away from you, Lord, but I will never leave you. I'll stay with you. One of his famous lines, that obviously we know the outcome to that. The word here in this verse, perfect, uh, has the idea of, of a progress of maturing. Not that you're perfect in a sense that you could do no wrong, that you ever do any wrong, but it's a process of maturing is what he's talking about here. James is simply saying that the progress is revealed by the tongue that lives in our mouth. Thomas Manton, a Puritan who wrote and preached in the early 1600s, shed light on this concept in his commentary of James. He wrote, in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish discipline, there were two categories of students. Those who began their Christian walk and experiment uh, in, in, or, or an experiment of action known as the beginners and the perfect those who, who had attained some progress in their instruction and isn't that the challenge about the time you think you've made progress you, you slip up make a mistake and here it talks about the bridling of the tongue. In other words, you, you, you bridle the tongue, you can bridle the body. That's what James is saying. James is saying if you could bridle the tongue, you can bridle the body. What does he mean? A man who runs a marathon can run around his house. A professional golfer can sink a two-foot putt most of the time. A surgeon can take out a splinter. A world-class chef can manage to scramble some eggs. They've learned the hardest thing so they can handle the easier thing. James is saying that whenever you bridle your tongue, everything else just got easier. 
And now he illustrates that here in the next few verses. The dangers of the tongue. He, I just want to stop from here, from verse 3 and on. This is how it breaks down, from verse 3 to verse 12. The first three verses here, 3 through 5, illustrates what the tongue is like. The next three verses, he doesn't illustrate what the tongue is like. He pictures what it is. And in the last four verses, he simply applies what he says to humanity and to nature. Look first at the three analogies that he gives. So the three analogies that he gives. The first is this with the bit in the horse's mouth. Is able to guide the whole body as well. You think of a horse nearly weighing half a ton. In terms of raw power, it was unmatched in James's day. However, place a two-inch bridle in its mouth and a hundred-pound child on its back who knows what he's doing. And that animal who once ran wild, appeared uncontrollable, can be made to dance and prance in a remarkable grace and charm. Indeed, this is the same with the same with men's horses. Control their mouth, and you're the master of all their actions. He gives another analogy here. Now, with that, he actually grows a little bigger. So you have the little bit that's in a big horse, and then he has the rudder that is in a giant ship. Think of an aircraft carrier, how big those are. And the little rudders that are underneath that, that direct and guide that ship through the current, through the, through the waves, and through the storms. I think better illustrated this is um, in, in World War II, uh, as the German battleship, the Bismarck, was launched into battle with Great Britain. The Bismarck was the pride of the German naval fleet. It was destined to bring down the British Navy to a watery grave, just destroy them. And as it, as it went out, it was leaked, the, the British Navy sent out their finest battleship as well, called the Hood, with her 2,000 officers and sailors aboard to intercept the Bismarck and to sink it before it got too close to shore. Instead, when the two ships engaged, the Bismarck blew up and sank the British prize ship. The situation was desperate, and the, the Bismarck could now impact the British sea land. And Great Britain was soon to be doomed. What would they do? So they scrabble up as, as, as what they could, a ship to go out to send off planes. And that's exactly what they did. And the planes went off and one plane shot a torpedo that went down that was heading toward the Bismarck. Now one torpedo would not create much damage to the giant ship. But of all things, the torpedo struck and jammed the rudder of the Bismarck. And now all of this powerhouse, this naval ship could do was steam around and around and around in circles. And so the British came along with their ships and pummeled and struck and eventually sunk the Bismarck. One little rudder. That was its demise. Little thoughts that are conceived in the heart and fashioned into words can direct your body which can effectively direct your entire life. Think about it. Your tongue can sour your marriage or sweeten it. Your tongue can distant fellow workers and, and ruin your career or encourage and edify the team. 
Your tongue can accept an invitation that ruins your character or reject and protect your personal integrity. Your tongue can defy God and lead you into internal destruction or it can surrender to God, which ultimately leads to eternal joy. The, the tongue is also so small that it can lead your entire body and your life to ruin. And then he goes on and mentions the third analogy in verse 5. An even more extreme analogy. You can take a tiny match, a little red ember, an ash not yet put out, and drop it in the wrong place, and hundreds of thousands of acres of forest will be destroyed. The spark, by the way, is in every man. And that's the point. It can destroy a reputation. It can ruin a church. It can destroy unity and fellowship. Given enough freedom and lack of control, you, can, you have within your mouth the secret of fellowship or the sufficient fuel to destroy it. Depends on how you use the muscle that hides behind your teeth. In 1871, much of the city of Chicago was destroyed by fire. And it began at 8.30 p.m. And a, and a cow kicked over a lantern. She was being milked. And the cow belonged to Mrs. O'Leary, who became famous as a result. And the small lantern fire started the great Chicago fire, burning over three miles of the city, destroying 17,000 buildings, leaving 100,000 people homeless and 300 people killed. The fire burned for two days, and when it was finally over, it took the city of Chicago more than $400 million to rebuild with one small lantern fire. And that's the point. Fire spreads and so does words. The analogy would have been immediately recognized here in James' James's audience, especially because uncontrollable fire was the most feared disaster during their day. They didn't have the technology and the machinery that we have today. They were almost helpless to put it out. These people knew what James was talking about and the, and the, the destruction they could cause. Then in verse 6, he goes on and talks about what the tongue is. And he says it is a fire. He says a world of unrighteousness, a world of iniquity. Uh, not, not the world when we talk about the sense of a planet, but the world's system. The, the sinful world system that we are um, in here today. And then he says, it sets on fire the course of our life. What does he mean by that? James is using the fire again, which in the negative description of the evil power of the tongue, but he's saying the evil potential expands even beyond today. It influences not only us, but others through the course of our lives. If your father demeans you or cut you down with his tongue, it affects you. And if you demean others and cut them down, it, it affects you as well. The power to determine it can be, it could be used for good or could be used for bad. Think about it this way. You were interviewed 
for a job and your resume looked good, just, just like a dozen others who turned theirs in. You graduated the top of your class, but so did the others. You earned a master's degree in that field, but there were others with the same degree. In that interview, you said something that caused them to hire you and turn down the others. Your tongue determined the direction of your life. Or think about it this way. You proposed to your sweetheart and she said yes. And then you come to the marriage offer and you said your I do's. Drastically maybe determining the direction of your life. And then he goes on and he says, out of hell. Talks about the, the word here for hell uh, is a phrase Gehenna in the, in the Greek. And it's the form that's used here to describe the valley of the sons of Hinnom. The valley of Gehenna lies southwest of the walls of Jerusalem. And it's known for centuries for being just a dump, a, a landfill, a place where trash was dumped along with carcasses of dead animals and also the bodies of executed criminals. A fire was kept burning in the valley to destroy the rubbish and filth. It was a place of filth, of rotting, of burning garbage, maggots, and the constant burning flames. Jesus would use this valley in his primary description of a place far worse, though similar in that of hell. And the Lord said in Mark 9, where the worm does not die out and the fire is never quenched. Nothing good comes from hell, only evil and suffering. And James makes the point that when the tongue is used for evil, and to inflict suffering is merely reproducing little hells all around. James writes here, our tongue is set on fire by hell. He uses again the present active tense, a verb is set on fire to indicate that it's a continual state. We, um, we used to have a fireplace in our living room when we lived in Fort Collins. It was uh, gas logs. And there was a pilot light that was always burning. You couldn't see it from the outside. You had to get down and you had to look really close. But you could see it. It was always on. And to, to turn on, you'd go over to the wall and flip a switch. And as soon as you flipped the switch, out burst flames. Immediately you had fire. And as long as there was gas in the line, as long as there was gas in the tank, we'd have fire at the flip of a switch. I believe this is what James is referring to. I believe this is where he's getting. We carry around in us a pilot light. It's a little flame. And it's always on. And as long as we live, it will always be burning. And it's ready to burst into flames at any moment. Just the flip of a cardinal switch and it will burst into flames. And it can last as long as the switch is on. Why? Because James informs us that the gas line reaches down into hell. And the gas supply is endless. It's the power of our tongue. The fire that creates. The, the damage destroys. And it causes. And then he goes on to say, uh, he uses that of the fire. Then he says it is an untamed beast. 
Every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea and creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Oh, you know, we think about uh, all kinds of animals. We have seen uh, seals to clap, elephants twirl, horses jump on command. I, I've even seen someone tame a, a snake, a, a, a cobra, kissing the cobra in the mouth. I, I would not try that. But we've seen all kind of wild animals being tamed by man. But James says the one, the, 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 the untamed beast is our tongue. It cannot be tamed. So he gives three pictures of what it is. So our tongue is a fire. It is an untamable beast. And then thirdly, it is a deadly poison. Behind your teeth rests the vial of cyanide. And occasionally when it dumps, it spreads death like thoughts wherever it may run loose. Hitler said, Nothing will prevent me from teaching or from tearing Christianity apart, root and branch. We are not out against 101 different kinds of Christianity. We're out against Christianity itself. All people that profess creeds are traitors to my people. Even those Christians who really want to serve the people, we must suppress. I myself am a heathen to the core. I'm not sure if any of you have ever been to the United States uh, Holocaust, Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. I've never been, but I heard it's pretty emotional. I have seen documentaries of what took place during those times where millions of Jews were killed. I, I, I saw mounds of children's shoes, mounds of eyeglasses, mounds of little clothes that was once wore by little Jewish children. And it makes one weep inside when you think about the poison of those lips that destroyed those peoples. And you know what else I thought? I thought that same kind of tongue is in my head. We don't really realize that, I think. It hasn't really come home to us, so we laugh it off, we excuse, we call it our nature. Oh, well, you, you know I've always been like that. May God deal with us severely if we have a problem with our tongue, if we're causing unrest and hurt and heartache and grief. And then in the last four verses here, in verses 9 and 10, is an illustration from humanity. The illustration is saying the opposites should not come from the same source. And in verses 11 and 12 is an illustration from nature. Opposites do not come from the same source. The word here for curse uh, in, the, in verse 9 uh, has the idea is not the idea of what we would think of as cursing or profanity. Um, it comes from the idea of demeaning or cutting, unkind words. It is the idea of, of, of the reference to slander, gossip, or accusation. It's the context of, of where it's coming from. And it's also in the context was inside the church. There is a, um, his over, overpowering point here is whatever comes out of our mouth 
unfailing reveals what is on the inside. He is saying, be honest. Are you skilled in your religious vocabulary so that the church, you appear holy and good, but as you come home, you're sarcastic with your family and critical of others? What about us? Do, do we enjoy the, the gossip tidbits that come our way at our office and even pass a few ourselves? What do we laugh at? What are we laughing about? How do we respond to others? With the answers to these questions give the lie to our profession that we love God, that we are his followers, Christ's followers. I thank God that we have a vehicle of communication, that we can praise our God with our lips. The Lord says, for by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But how many times do we gather together and we sing, Jesus paid it all. It is well with my soul. And then five minutes later, we jump on our car, get in our car, and we get on 431 and curse at the person who cut us off. Or we gossip or say something to someone or about someone else that we would never say to their face. James says here in this verse, that ought not be so. A little girl was sitting next to her father after a long Sunday morning service. They were eating lunch and preparing for it, and he bowed his head to lead in prayer. He said, I, I thank the Lord for the food. And he thanked the Lord for the, for the home and for their meal, and he said amen. And five to ten seconds later, he was fussing about the preacher, the church, his work, several things around, just complaining. And finally, his little daughter tapped him on the shoulder and said, Daddy, did God hear you when you asked the blessing? Well, yes, yes, he did. Well, did God hear you when you fussed and complained right after you asked the blessing? Well, yes, honey, I, I suppose he did. Well, Daddy, which one did God believe was her question. And we all know the answer. He believed both because he hears both. And he detects in both the real condition of the heart. Man hears blessing, but God hears the cursing as well. Someone once wrote, A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may smite and kill. A brutal word will accomplish nil. But a gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous Word may brighten the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. It was said of Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 46 No man ever spoke like this man. And as we live in the power of his grace, may it be that others would say the same about us. Let's pray.